Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and co-parents of all ages, this podcast is for you. Introducing in the center ring, the amicable divorce expert, Judith Weigel. On today's program and featured in Center Ring, we have Dr. Loretta Billups. Dr. Billups has quite a resume. She is a forensic psychologist. She has her doctorate in applied clinical psychology. She used to be part of the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department. That's the most fun part. I love that. I love law enforcement. Only when they give me a break, Dr. Billups. And as you know, a clinician and a transformative, transformational coach. So Dr. Bill, say, thank you for taking time out of your enormously busy schedule to be with us today. Thank you for having me. Much appreciated. I'm so happy to be here. Well, my pleasure, because the two topics we're going to discuss, I think are going to be very interesting to everybody. Right. The first one I wanted to discuss with you, mm-hmm. how childhood experiences affect our adult relationships. Mm. They do. I would like you to discuss how and why they do. And then how does this come to play in a divorce as people are dealing with each other? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, And what a heavy topic to start on. Um, but, But let's get through it. So when you think about your childhood, you know, we have our first loves, right? Which are our caregivers, mom and dad. Um, and we, look at them for guidance. We also are very observant in how they interact with each other and we start to pick up on that. As we grow up and uh, reach maturity and in, uh, in adulthood, oftentimes what we witnessed or observed in our childhood, how our parents communicated with each other, how our parents interact with each other, how we uh, received loved or didn't receive love, that is what we bring into our relationships, right? Whether it's a relationship with your partner or even a relationship with your children. It's again, those first, uh, our first loves, our caregivers is how we continue to process or communicate throughout our, our adult lives. All right. So here's what I find happens in uh, when people come to my office, either for mediation or to file. Mm-hmm. Nobody not everybody says why the divorce is happening and it's a no fault divorce state in California as it is now in most states in the country you don't have to prove grounds why you're getting divorced but somehow it comes up or issues come up um it, he or she isn't responsive he or she has anger issues he or she mm-hmm. so it's the negative part of our personalities that come out and because i have a lot of therapists colleagues and friends who have taught me little things along the way. I don't practice therapy, but I at least have the ability to ask a trigger question that will all of a sudden put everything in perspective with the person I'm speaking with. And all Mm -hmm. I have to say is, are your spouse's parents still alive? And if even one of them is still alive, I said, do you know anything about the relationship your spouse had with his or her parents? And all of a sudden the light goes on. Right. Absolutely. Yes. We, we repeat, right? Absolutely. We do. I mean, I could share a story with you about my um, current uh, marriage. Love my husband dearly. Um, 
But I would say that growing up, his parents lacked affection. Um, he would probably tell you that he never saw them, you know, hug or do anything, you know, to make you think like, hey, they love each other. <laughs> and I remember the first time I met his parents, I went in to go give his mother a hug and she was stiff and I couldn't understand. And then I went to go give his father a hug and it was kind of like a little pat. Right. And this is before I knew anything. And so I, as we continue to date, of course, I'm noticing these same things with him. Um, wasn't very affectionate, really wasn't a hand-holding time. And then that's when the conversations start to happen. Like, hey, how come you're not affectionate? And then I remembered, oh, that first time I gave them a hug. And then I started asking questions about that. Well, what was your childhood like? You know, did your, did your mother tell you she loves you? And, you know, without going into details, um, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't a lot of affection growing up, specifically um, by his mother. Um, and so we had to do a lot of work around affection and what that looks like um, in this relationship um, so that it could survive because I was, and still was the complete opposite. I grew up with a lot of affection um, solely from my mom because my father wasn't in the picture, but my mother gave me more than, more than what I needed. Um, and so I'm able to pass that on to my children and then and then again with my husband again we had to we had to learn together you know right mm -hmm. so what should people do now once the light goes on mm -hmm. and the behavior that one spouse doesn't like of the other spouse or is troubled by it something like that if there is a divorce that's happening because this is all about amicable divorce what should that person do now that they're starting to understand where the behavior came from that they might find slightly aberrant or unacceptable? Well, I would think it first starts off with, like you said, once that light bulb come on, understanding, being understanding and being compassionate. That's where I had to start because I was like, well, how can I expect this man to give me something that he's never had? So that was the first thing I had to take a step back. And then once I understood that, then it was a conversation because I wanted my needs met as well. Just because you didn't have these amazing, what I think are amazing things in your life, that doesn't mean I should go without. But I want you to understand that I am compassionate about your situation. So then a conversation ensued. You know, um, I liked, I like to be hugged. I like, you know, I like for you to hold me at night. And Thankfully, he was receptive. It didn't happen overnight. Let's just be clear. Um, but it was just those constant reminders that this is what I would like out of the relationship, but still giving him his space and, a lot, and giving him an opportunity to grow. And that goes for any relationship. First, understand the parallels that your, your spouse has been through. Have those conversations and then start communicating your needs. And hopefully they'll get on board and want to work with you in order for both of you to be happy because you, you're going to meet each other halfway. Did he ever question the effect? Is your mother still living? Let me ask. My mother's still living. Okay. Did he ever question the amount of affection he saw between both of you when you first introduced him to your family? Not between my mother and I, but, but I already had two children prior to our relationship and he definitely would like, why are you guys always hugging? You just saw them. 
<laughs> you know, so he would, you know, yeah. So yeah. because I'm always hugging and, and kissing my children. And I would like to say that he's come a long way because we have a son together and he is super affectionate to our son. Oh, that's great. That's yeah. really, really great. The very first thing you said, which I liked and, and which I think is uh, helpful is, well, the first thing you have to do is be empathetic, understanding. Mm-hmm. And one of the biggest issues when people are getting divorced before it's completely smooth and amicable, because it can get to that point. It can. Right. right. Blame. Blame sets in. And I think, and, and I'd like you to address this. What, who cares what I think? You're the psychologist. <laughs> <laughs> You're in center ring today. Um so the blame has to stop or you can't move forward. You're, you're, you, you're sick. So let's address this. When people are in the blame cycle, once they receive information that can maybe clarify one or two of the issues that they're blaming their soon-to-be former spouse with, how do they get out of the blame cycle? That's a good question because... Oftentimes they're in a blame cycle for so long, they actually believe, you know, what I refer to like our delusions. Um, Again, it comes back down to communication and really wanting to change. If you're in a relationship with someone and they don't recognize that they're doing anything wrong or they're causing any sort of disruption in their relationship, um, it's going to be really difficult to navigate through that. The first the person needs to want wants to has to want to make changes within themselves. And then when you have someone constantly blaming you for something, clearly they need to look at look at themselves because something is wrong there, right? What is that saying? Like you point a finger at someone else and then how many are pointing back to you? Type of thing. I know it sounds mm-hmm. kind of childish, but it's the truth, right? You're right. you're 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 um putting this on someone else and, and really the situation is you. So hopefully they have an open mind. Hopefully they're receptive to the information that's coming and hopefully they want to change. And don't be afraid to ask for help. That's what therapy and coaches are for. Well, hold on. What if the issue bothering one of the spouses doesn't bother the other spouse? So, you know, I'm trying to think, have I ever had that in one of my sessions? I actually I have and I really think that it we all have deal breakers right there's always things that are in our relationship that what may work for you may not work for me or vice versa right mm-hmm. so if it's not if it's not troublesome in your relationship and you're still able to navigate the relationship um and it nothing is coming up where that dreaded d word as we talked about earlier comes up mhm Oh, no, I'm no, I'm talking about the divorce has been discussed. It's going mm-hmm. to be filed for. It's maybe being filed for right now. Mm-hmm. And as they engage professionals to help them, um, you can see that the blame game is in full force. Oh. And as a mediator, when people come in to mediate, mm-hmm. the, the blaming can take up most of the time in the mediation. And you can't really, as a mediator, stop them. We all try, but sometimes they control the room and they're so engaged with one another, blaming each other. It's just, you either have to sit back and let it play itself out or just say, right. 
maybe we should just adjourn because not we're not getting anywhere. And right. So I always think about how can they get out of the cycle of blame? Because they'll each have their own blame for each other. And it may be very real to them, but not real to each other. They're not accepting what the other spouse is saying as a reason to feel responsible for making the other spouse miserable. Right. Yeah, I I think, like you said, sometimes, you know, you get in the rut of blaming each other and no one can see eye to eye. So in that situation, I think in time it works itself out. And the reason why I say that is because if they are, are in the process of getting divorced and that individual that they're blaming, now they're no longer in their space, right? Mm. And so what happens is like, okay, now I'm in another relationship and it's the same pattern. Okay. Now my friends are saying something. Well, maybe my wife was right. Right. Because I'm going to be me all day long. Right. No matter who I'm presenting in front of, whether it's a spouse, a friend or whatever have you, I'm going to be me. And so the common denominator is me. And after enough times, I would hope and I would think that these conversations are going to keep coming up and you're going to recognize that, hey, maybe I'm to be at fault and I need to start working on myself. I did interview um, someone in Greece, uh, a woman in Greece who was married with her own small child. And she wrote a book about parental alienation. Mm. It obviously came from her own experience as a child with parental alienation. And she said, I mean, she was just an adolescent when it happened. She's now in her 30s with a child, married herself. Her mother still blames her father for the divorce. Wow. And so I guess there are just those situations where if you're not willing to advance, your own head, your own heart, your own psyche. Yeah. I, I guess that really is at the root of it. Are are we willing to move forward and Absolutely. release those emotions from the past? Absolutely. Because when you think about it, I mean, I don't know how old her mother is, but if she's in her 30s, I could probably guesstimate. I mean, doesn't that sound miserable? Doesn't that sound like just a vicious cycle that for years and years you're still blaming this individual? Um, And it sounds like we need to do some work about forgiveness, right? Like let it go and move on because it just it's just a heavy burden to carry. Um, And it's really sad that she's caught up in a rut. Um, But yeah, some people, the, the bottom line is some people you just can't help because they're not ready to move on. They don't want to move on. And they've come to normalize this experience. They have. And, but the, uh, an important part on this is what you're doing to your children. Mm-hmm. So that blame, that inability not to release those negative feelings and say, you know what? It's not a crime that we're getting divorced. It's not a crime that you committed adultery. I mean, it is what it is. It hurt me, you know, whatever the case may be, but it's really the children that then go into extreme therapy, have relationship issues, right? Yes, absolutely. Um, I think it's so important that children see that, okay, mom and dad may be getting a, a divorce, but they're doing it kindly. They're keeping us at the forefront, um, of their minds and the decisions that they're making. You know, maybe we have a say-so, maybe we 
participate. Um, they're still friends. They still love each other. You know, it's so important that the children see that because, you know, what is it about 50% of our population are going through divorce, you know, and, and some of those are mm-hmm. just horrendous. Um, and you need to pay attention if your children are watching this and they too are going to be traumatized by what they're witnessing with the parents. So again, the divorce is already traumatic, right? Because yeah. everything you've known is now changing. Maybe address is changing. Maybe schools have to change. You know, there's so many things. And, um, you know, children are very sensitive. So why not let's just see if we can do this where it's amicable, peaceful, and the children, um, you know, are, are being held at the forefront of our minds so that they could have an opportunity to heal themselves. Absolutely. You know, my heart always goes out to parents who are in a very emotional way when they're starting the divorce process, and then they have to co-parent. I'm like, oh my God, could there be a harder situation for anybody to think of that old phrase, best interest of the child? Well, my heart is like not even in my body. It's on the floor. You know, Mm -hmm. how, how do people... How do people do this, Dr. Billups? <laughs> it's it's difficult and it takes a lot of communication and it takes you, uh, you want to humble yourselves and maybe for a minute you'll have to be um, selfless and the children must come, must come first um, because at the end of the day, when you bring children into this world, um, you know, they have nothing to do with what's going on. And sometimes parents are really... They're so angry um, at the other party that they involve the other children. This is not their fight, right? You just want them to be safe and for them to be able to to live their best lives while you guys are navigating this. They don't need to know the reason for the divorce. They don't need to know how you, what you're going through personally. Uh, It's hard, but mentalizing is. Yeah, yeah. I think in terms of the reason for the divorce, I think that's, it's it depends on the age, um, because if you're if you're a teenager um, and maybe you have you know you're very sensible and very in tune, and depending on what the reason is, um, parents might feel comfortable sharing that with with the you know an age appropriate child. But you know of, of course our younger children um, below the age of adolescence they don't necessarily need to know the reason. Um, they just need to know that mom and dad loves them, and mom yeah. and dad are going to be there for them regardless of what's going on between mom and dad. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, just a quick question. I don't think you're expecting this, but when you were with the police department, did you ever in any of your uh, levels uh, have to deal with domestic violence, be, get called out on those types of? I did not have to deal with that. I got them on the back end. I got them after they were arrested because most of my career was in the jail or in courts. Mm. So I would see them, um, like I said, after the situation, or I would see them in court. Okay. I just, yeah. yeah, I just wondered what it was like going to people's homes and if there were children there, you know, how you dealt with it. It's so volatile at that exactly. point. If the police are being called, it's pretty volatile. Right. And I will tell you, um, you know, based on many conversation with partners who had to deal with those type of calls, they will tell you that those are the one of the most dangerous calls you ever get. Because what happens is you have two people who are upset with each other 
And then the police come, someone is going to jail if there's any sort of injury or whatever have you, or someone is going to be asked to leave to keep the peace. And then all of a sudden, those two people that were confrontational and fighting each other, now their anger and aggression turns towards that officer because how dare you take my man or how dare you take my woman? And then now they're attacking the officer. So they will tell you that's one of the most horrific calls to go through because anything could happen. Okay, so wait a minute. I wasn't ready to hear that. Mm -hmm. So when police are called to a home for an altercation, a domestic violence altercation, they're called. They didn't just drive by and, you know, go not. Mm -hmm. they, They were called. They were called for a reason. They were called to calm things down so nobody would get hurt. So are you saying that the police themselves can do the arrest? The, the, The person who called for help doesn't have to be the one that says, yes, I want this person arrested? Correct. Ah. Correct. So there might be times when a person calls and doesn't want the other person taken away they just call to calm things down so nobody calm. gets hurt. Right, right. Um, I believe it's ever since OJ that someone must go to jail. Something mm-hmm. must happen. Yeah. After OJ. So someone is going to go to jail because they need to keep the peace. Um, and like I said, that's often the most dangerous part because now oftentimes one of one or two mm. turn their anger towards the officer and it could get pretty Oh horrific. Mm-hmm. Oh, geez. I can't imagine. I didn't know that. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. So I would like to talk about the dreaded D word from your position as a psychologist. Yeah. Do you ever have to work with people going through divorce? Um, as not as a psychologist, but as a coach. Because oh, as, okay. Yeah. As a psychologist, I work with individuals who are seriously mentally ill. Um, so, but as a coach, I work with individuals who might be struggling in their relationships and the divorce has come up or, um, they're just trying to figure out how they can maybe not go through divorce. So how do you deal with that then, um, as a coach when it comes up? Well, as a coach, you're only dealing with one person, right? Not necessarily. Sometimes I have couples contact me and how I do it in my practices, say, for example, a couple contacts me, I start to work with the couple first. I'll have a couple sessions with them together. And then at that point, then I'll do individuals. So then I'll talk to the uh, maybe the, the female for a session or two, and then I'll talk to the male for a session two, and then I bring them back together for the last few sessions. Because oftentimes we find that once that person is isolated, the truth comes out. You know, in front, yeah, in front of each other, they're both on their best behavior. Uh huh. And no one wants to really get to the bottom. They're very vague. And then when you get them alone, and then, okay, well, this is what's really going on, or this is what really is bothering me. Um, And then we have those conversations, and and I try to be what you refer to as like a mediator. Okay, so this is what's coming up um, with this person, and you know, let's talk about this, and you know, so on and so forth. When I uh, got my first mediation training, it was at the Los Angeles City Attorney's Office in a program called the Dispute Resolution Program. Mm -hmm. 
And it was a wonderful program. I learned so much doing that. And you had to do 160 hours of work. It was a countywide program free of charge. Oh. And you mediated disputes. So it was a whole range of things. It was yeah. the best training ever. But the whole point of that type of training, it was called the trans transformational uh, style of mediation. You didn't let the parties separate. Everybody had to stay in the same room. And I said, well, you know, that's quite a challenge, but okay, I did it the way they wanted me to do it. And I kept doing it that way until I realized what you just said. I had to separate a couple because one person actually asked for it once oh. I got into private practice. And, and my suite allows for two rooms. Okay. So I can separate people. I realized how beneficial that is because of what you said. Mm -hmm. The real story comes out. They're reluctant to say it. They don't really want to go into all that depth in front of the other person and make a whole scene. Let's just mm -hmm. try and get through this as easy as we can. Right. But really, when the whole story comes out, solutions are more obvious Correct. that are beneficial to the couple, right? Correct. Exactly. Exactly. I think you get you end up getting to the root of the cause. You see the transparency, um, and and yeah, you're able to finally navigate some sort of resolution or solution, whether we still go through the divorce or whether we decide to work together. At the end of the day, we find out what the true problem is, and then we can really have a conversation instead of talking about these superficial things that are not going to change anything. You need to get to the root of the problem. And the only way I find that you could do that is to separate them. Because like you said, the, you know, in, in the same room, it, it just doesn't come up. Mm -mm. No, yeah. it doesn't. And I've done my best work when I've separated people, when they ex really explain what they didn't say. In the, then all of a sudden I'm like, oh my God, creative problem solving can take place to yeah. your benefit. And then yeah. we really roll up our sleeves, we get working and generally we find a solution. Yeah. And also too, the other part is like, you really get to see the emotions. You may have had like someone who comes in and they present as very rigid and tough on the outside and they won't back down. But then you get them alone and you could just see that wall just falling apart. And then you start to get the other emotions, sadness, tears, you know, like, I really want this to work. I really love them. But in front of them, they have to present themselves as, or they perceive they have to present themselves yeah. a certain way. And then you can like, okay, I can work with this, but I can't work with the angry hostility. I can't work with that. You know what I mean? I'll put you on the timeout. <laughs> the timeouts have to be, yes, they're frequent. So and to, to all of you listening, if you're going into a mediation, if you're in, involved in a series of mediations, ask for a separation and make sure the mediator that you choose will allow you to do that because there are some mediators that uh, really there's th this one gentleman who's extreme. He doesn't believe the mediator should speak at all. I'm like, okay. but then why are they hiring you? Right. If you're just going to sit there and bear witness, they need communication help. Yes. Or they wouldn't be there. They could do this at the kitchen table for heaven's sakes. For free. For free. So <laughs> make sure when you interview your mediator, make sure you ask if you want to be separated. Because I tell my, my clients, you can tell me when you want to be separated. 
you know, I, I will see, I will know when the time is. I always know when it's time to separate them. But right. maybe you want to ask for it. So everybody listening, please know you should always have that option and make sure the mediator you choose will do that for you. Absolutely. And if they say, nope, nope, everybody's in the same room, I don't, then that's not the right mediator for you. If that's what, if that's not what you want. Absolutely. The dreaded D word. Yes, it is the dreaded D word. Um, having a, being asked for the divorce, if you don't know it's coming, even though you may know your relationship needs help. But if you're not ready to hear that question or that statement, I'd like a divorce, it can be the most earth shattering thing you could ever hear. Right. What should people do? If they do have to, if they do end up hearing it and they're shattered. Oh, that's a tough one. Um, Because in that moment, you feel betrayed. Um, You feel that probably like the earth is just falling, you know, apart before you and everything that you think you've worked so hard for, this home, this children, all these things that we've worked together. Now you realize that it's going to be gone or you won't have access to it or whatever have you. Um, first, I want you to take a deep breath. That's the first thing I want, to do, want you to do because that's something that's really hard to hear and your response is going to be one of, you know, a heightened emotion, whether it's what or anger or something like that. Take a deep breath. Then ask them to repeat themselves because you want to make sure you heard them correctly. And then you want to go into, you know, why are you asking for a divorce? And, and truly hear them out before you say anything. And if you are not ready to respond in that moment, because you don't have to, True. you know what? Let me, let me process this because they've had time to process this. They've been thinking about this for however long that they have. You just gave me this information. So I need you to allow me time to process it. So thank you for sharing this with me. Maybe you're sorry to hear that your spouse feels this way, but I need to step away right now because I need to, I need a moment. And then when you're ready, go back and have that conversation. If you feel that you want to fight for your marriage, then you start having that conversation and hopefully your partner is on board. If not, then you start talking about the ways that we can make this amicable. Okay. What are we going to do with the home? What are you thinking about the kids? If their children involved, you know, uh, any of the finances or whatever have you. Um, my best advice is try to get those things worked out before you go to court because if not, the judge will help you and you may not like the help. <laughs> so if you could at all, you know, have these conversations and have everything ironed out before you get to court, I'm telling you, it'll give you a peace of mind. You know, Dr. Billups, what you said about take a deep breath as shocked as you may be, I mean, people can faint. I mean, it could be, and you can know the relationship, the marriage isn't good. You can know it has problems, Mm -hmm. but to hear those words, I want a divorce. Your life just changed before your eyes without you being a willing participant in the right. decision, right? right? So all control is being taken away from you. But what you said was so prescient though, because just take a deep breath. 
Don't start screaming and yelling. Don't start getting angry. Just take a deep breath. And I love that you said, I have to process this. I can't even engage in a conversation right now. Okay, well, how long do you need? How long do you think you need? I don't know. I don't know. I I don't know. Yeah. But I will process and obviously we do have to talk about it. Right. Absolutely. Because when I do come back to you, I want to make sure that I have a clear head. Um, You know, I want to make sure that I'm in a space where, okay, this person has told me they want a divorce. Um, I don't want my emotions to get the best of me because if, if I'm still upset or whatever, and it's upsetting, nothing is resolved when you have two heated parties. Right. Um, you know, so we both want to have this conversation with the level head and both be allowed to have time to process it. It's only, it's only fair to both parties. When we were talking right before we started recording, you said something very optimistic about how to use divorce going forward mm-hmm. in a positive way. How do you deal with that as a coach? Okay, the decision is made. Now, how do we make this work for you? Right, right. So when when you have individuals who have decided that, um, okay, there's nothing else that can be done, um, let's go through the divorce. I often start off with, what have you done to salvage the marriage? Because we want to make sure that you've done everything you can to make this relationship work. If you're like, Dr. Billups, we've gone to coaching, we've gone to therapy, it's just not working out, we've grown apart, we're certain this is what we want. Okay, then let's start. So what what is it that you want out of this? Are we going to remain friends? Are there children involved? There's a bunch of questions um, that I need to ask up front, um, you know, and not necessarily about the finances because it has nothing to do with me, but should it come up and they need help with that, I will be more than happy to give them guidance. Um, and I'll take a scenario where there are children involved. I will want to know, have you spoken to your children? You know, what are their thoughts on this? Um, again, like we were saying earlier, you don't have to give a lot of details depending on the age of the child, but are, are the children aware? And how, how disrupted would their lives be? Um, and then I just keep letting them know, regardless, the children need to, you need to think about the children, you need to think about the children. You can still have the divorce and you can still be amicable and you can still be great co-parents and you can still love each other and all these things. Um, but there's going to be work involved. There's communication has to be, um, at the forefront. Um, you have to learn to be pleasant and respectful to the other party. Um, and then I'm gonna go back to communication got to keep that those that line of communication open. Yeah, and I think underneath all of these wonderful things that you just said is you have evolved now to a different place. So, no, you're not interlocked as husband and wife. You're in a different position. If you have children, you're co-parents. Mm-hmm. So you're in a, a kind of like a parallel position. You're going to be speaking differently to one another. Mm-hmm. And and I guess have to get used to that, that different energy, that different vibe. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's 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 a whole different dynamic, you know. Um, and then all of a sudden the other thing that comes in, which I always say wait six months to a year, is now you guys are ready to date. 
And then the conversation of, oh, I want to introduce my child to the new partner. Hold on. <laughs> you know, let's let's get through this part first, you know, because the person that you were at the beginning of that marriage, the middle of the marriage, and now you're divorced are all different. So you need to allow yourself some time to figure out who you are now that you are the single person, you're the single parent. Figure out who you are before you move forward. Take some time for yourself. Take some time to relearn yourself. Take some time for some self-preservation, some self-care, because I don't care if the divorce is amicable. It's still very traumatic. So take some time to, you know, take care of yourself before you proceed. Right. And to remember that your child is getting used to the divorce. Now you're going to bring another stranger into this person's life. Mm-hmm. They have to get used to this other person when they're, they're, they're still trying to compartmentalize and deal with two homes. Yeah. Two sets of clothes, you know. Yeah. yeah. How does this all work out? And now we have new people. You can date, but you don't have to bring them home to your kids, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, feel free to date. Again, I always say wait at least six months to a year, longer if if you can. But you don't have to introduce your child to everyone that you have in your life. You know, be creative. Um, I wouldn't even allow them into my home, whether or not my children are there, because that's our space, until you figure out if this is something you want to be serious about. But meet, meet at a coffee shop, go to a restaurant, meet at a park you know, whatever have you, but keep that space sacred for you and your children because, again, they've already been through enough and and they don't need another layer of trauma uh, in case that relationship doesn't work out. So allow yourself some time. Yes, allow yourself some time to learn yourself again because you are a changed person after the divorce. Absolutely. And, 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 And that's okay. You're supposed to be a changed person. Everything we go through in life Make some type of adjustment, and that's Absolutely. how we grow. Right. I think it's kind of interesting, though, when you go through a very conservative approach to dating and you don't bring anybody home until it's a long term committed relationship and you've squared away everything with the divorce and the kids are doing fine. Do you, do you find that the kids then get maybe get curious on their own who mommy and daddy are, are seeing and, and they'll kind of let you know that they're ready to meet them? Does that happen? Yeah, absolutely. They will get curious because I think that children, um, they want mom and dad to be happy. They want, they want to see the smiles on your face. And if those smiles, along with you, of course, when you see your children, they bring you smiles. But if another adult brings your a smile to your face, they want to see that. You know, they want the joy in, in the household. And so, yeah, they will definitely let you know when they're ready. And they'll definitely let you know when they're not ready. Because you could bring someone home and they're like, that's not my dad or that's not my mom. You know what I mean? And right away, they're like, no, 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 I wasn't saying that. I'm just someone I'm dating or interested or whatever have you. They will definitely let you know what they're feeling. And, you yeah. know, I, I know parents are like, well, this is none of your business, but it is their business. You know, this is their home too. And and they have a right to understand what's going on, um, you know, with you because their safety could be at risk. You know, all these other things come into play. So, you know, just right. just be gentle with your children. And and this is where you let your guard down at home. You uh-huh. can be who you are at home, sad, happy, 
scared, whatever. Right. When you introduce a new person into this, the kids potentially can't be who they are. They Correct. have to change who they are. And wow, I always, you know, I, I didn't come from a divorced family. Although there were times. No, but I didn't. And um, I, I so I wonder now as somebody working in family law, what would I feel like if some new adult came into my home, depending on what, I don't even know if it matters what age. Um, how would I be? And so I ask people, how, were you ever divorced? And did what were you like as a kid if your yeah. parent brought somebody new into your life? What was that like for you? Yeah. It's different with different people. It's just, it's different. Yeah, it is. It is really different. Um, when I, because this is my second marriage, so at some point I had to introduce um, my current husband to my daughters. And I don't recall how old they were, but they were probably around maybe seven and nine. And I think we dated a year, year and a half before I decided to um, introduce them. And they were a bit taken aback because they really hadn't seen me with anyone since, you know, their father. And so I had to allow for that, you know, like, okay, well, this is so-and-so. And it was so funny because um, I introduced him as Mr. Billups. And, you know, to this day, we've been together, I don't know, 17 years. My girls still call him Mr. Billups. Are you serious? That's so funny. They do. They do. Because I was like, this is Mr. Billups. And so, yeah, I had to just, like I said, allow them to process this, that mom is moving forward and she's dating and I needed to hear, you know, their opinions about what they thought of him and if they felt safe with him. And, you know, you have to consider that, you know? Absolutely. Because even though they're not getting divorced, they are in the divorce. Mm -hmm. Like it or not, they are part of the divorce. And yeah, it was I interviewing the other day. Kids are people too. Absolutely. You feelings, you have to listen to them. You can't. You have just- to. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. This was delightful. Thank you so much for joining us. This was great. Thank you you for having me. I could talk to you all day long. Well, (laughs) let's just do that since we both live in Los Angeles. (laughs) Thank you. Now, listen, we're going to have show notes and, and ways people can contact you. But for those who just like to jot something down while they're listening, best point of contact. Phone. Easiest, uh, 424-287-7410. You can contact me, leave a message, send a text. Um, If you're feeling frisky and you write really fast, then you can email me at dr.billups, B as in boy, I-L-L-O-U-P as in Paul, S as in Sam, at cultivatingyourlife.com. So that's my email. And I'm just going to give your phone number one more time. It's 424-287-7410. 7410. Correct. Excellent. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate this. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. I I had a blast. Good, 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 and good. And thank all of you for listening. I always do. Please introduce this podcast to your friends. Please subscribe. We have the most, we have the best guests with the greatest information. I'm partial, but I (laughs) believe it's true. I do. You can you can contact me with any show ideas that you may have through this website, 
judith at theamicabledivorceexpert.com. It will come right to my email inbox. And as always, have an amicable day. That's our show for today. Thank you for joining us. Be good to yourselves, be kind to your spouse, and cherish your children above all else. 